0: Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland, and I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And the last time Dominique and I were chatting, we ended the podcast by saying that we really wanted to talk about principles of training. And Dominique, I guess that that's something that you very much want us to jump right in and and continue our
1: conversation. I do. Um, You know, I really, one of the most satisfying things for me in life is understanding why. Yes. I ask why questions all the time. And I've always been like that. I must have been a pain in the neck when I was a little
0: girl. I was just going to say that. You must have been quite the two-year-old that that age.
1: Oh, I, I, you know, I find it so gratifying to understand why. And so, yeah, principles for me are all about understanding the reasons behind some of the rules that we have learned and I was just thinking about that this morning because I woke up and I decided I wanted to have spanakopita for dinner. Do you know what that is? You know, it's the 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 pastry with the filo. Okay. Um, yes. The filo with the feta cheese and the spinach. Yes,
0: you're going to make everybody hungry. Because yes.
1: Yeah. So and so I I was preparing um, and I looked in my freezer to make sure I had the filo pastry. And sure enough, I had some filo pastry and so, and I wondered, as I was taking it out, a question popped in my mind and I wonder how many times can you refreeze filo pastry? And so I went on the internet and one of the first things I saw was someone who wrote that they had learned as a rule that you never refreeze something that was frozen before. Okay, And so, as with every rule, the question is always, well, why is that and does it apply in this case? And, you know, so is it a question of food safety or is it a question of, in the case of the phyllo, I'm not sure that it's food safety. It might be a question of maybe quality of the product because the, the phyllo pastry, you know, it, it dries easily. Yes. And so if you don't wrap it up properly, it will break easily. So I suppose if you freeze it and refreeze it, it may not even be the freezing. It may be that you're not wrapping it correctly. But, you know, I was thinking about that when we were talking about principles because there's so many rules in clicker training that we hear. Don't leave your hand in the pouch or... um, a click should always be followed by a treat, or you don't, or, I mean, there are tons and tons. And then the question is, well, why, and does it apply here? And when you understand the principle behind the rule, then it gives you a lot of flexibility and you become much more skilled and you can make the, the best decision in the situation that is in front of you with the animal in front of
0: you. Yes. So so do we want to take a couple of those, what we would call... Let's not call them rules, because rules seem so rigid and set in stone, but guidelines. Is that, can we call them guidelines instead of rules?
1: Yeah, we could say... we. Well, the the thing about the rule is exactly that, though. It's you know, it's like something you have learned, but it's rigid. Okay. And if you don't understand what the principle is behind it, then it really is very rigid. And it may it may help you, you know, when 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 you begin, um, you you can't know everything. Right so it can help you to have the rules like you know don't leave your hand in the pouch the treat pouch Right. you need those things to start up and you might be able to do quite a lot actually with those rules but there's a point where you want like the bigger picture yes
0: so let's take let's take just that that first one of uh, keep your hand out of the treat pouch ahead of the click. So let's, let's tease that apart, because I think it's, it's a great, it's a great one to analyze. So it's certainly something that I teach that I want people to, and I I always say I want them, there's one place in the training where I want people to be under full stimulus control. And, and that's, you know, the stimulus control is a term too, that is one of those that really what we want to call it? But it's what it's called. So we'll take, we'll leave that for another day. And this we'll just refer to it as stimulus control. And when you have something that's under stimulus control, it means the behavior is occurs when you ask for it. But it doesn't occur at other times in a training situation. And you don't get some other behavior in response to your cue. So if I Say to a dog, sit. The dog sits when I give that cue. He doesn't lie down, he doesn't jump up, he sits. And in the absence of the cue in a training situation, I don't get that behavior. And uh, so I.
1: And you I, don't get it if you cue something else.
0: Right, right. So
1: if you say lie down, you don't get a sit.
0: Right. So there are those four characteristics that are met so that you can say that something is under full stimulus control. And not every behavior that we teach needs to be brought under full stimulus control. And that's very much one of those things that depends upon what you need. So it may not, you may not care if your horse comes running when you call him because you keep him in a small paddock. But if you keep him in a 30-acre field, it would be nice if he came running every time you called him. And you may not care if your horse picks up a canter when you ask for the canter, and instead he trots first because you're out on a trail, and it's fine. But if you're a dressage rider, it matters very much that your horse picks up the canter when you ask, because in a test, that's needed. So these things are there's a lot of flexibility built into that. So let's let's just look at. sure i don't lose lose the thread so there's one place in the training where i would say that i want full stimulus control and it's not that i want the learner my horse under full stimulus control but i want the handler under full stimulus control and that place is centered around the click that when because when you click when I give a marker signal, whatever it is, but when I give that marker signal, that that is a cue for two beans. So it is a cue to my horse, my dog, my goat, whatever I'm training, to go into reinforcement retrieving mode. And it is a cue to the handler to go into reinforcement delivery mode. And I don't want to see any reinforcement delivery ahead of the click right so i don't want my handler to be indicating in other ways that that a treat is coming right because if it if you start to do that what will happen is it will overshadow the click so if right. so if you start to reach into your pocket just before you click, what your animal is gonna pick up on is the movement of your hand, and that's going to become the salient information. Yep. So if I want the click to be important, I have to be careful what I what surrounds it. Now you could say, well, actually making the clicking sound is a nuisance, and my horse is perfectly capable of noticing when I reach into my pocket, so I'll make that my marker signal. And I would be happy with that if it's deliberate. If you say, for what I want to train, for how I train, for how I'm gonna work this this animal, reaching into my pocket is a great marker signal. I would say go for it. If you're deliberate in, in its use, reaching into your pocket is as good a signal as any other, provided, of course, that your animal can see it but the problem with that kind of visual marker is what happens if your animal is looking away from you and which you might well want. you might want your animal looking at a target you might be behind your animal you might be behind a screen so you're not even visible to the animal and that visual marker signal is no longer functional you might be on top of your horse and yes maybe he could feel the your body shift as you reach into your pocket, but it's not going to be as clear and as accurate as the marker signal.
1: I think I think the precision is is an important part of why we need a marker. Yes. Because it gives a lot of precision. Yes. And again, once you understand the reason behind one once you understand why then you can make some decisions because I know that myself, when I'm walking with my two dogs on my own property without a leash and they're healing naturally one on each side of me, I don't click all the time. I just reach in my pocket and I do give them treats without clicking because I don't, in that particular instance, I don't care about precision. I just want them to walk next to me. And so I don't want to click, you know, every whatever for half an hour. So I just randomly, I, when they're be, both of them are beside me, I will reach into my pocket without clicking. But I feel comfortable. And, and I've heard people tell me, ooh, you cannot give a treat without clicking. And I've asked them, well, why is that? And I've never had an answer that has satisfied me so far. So maybe someone, someone has.
0: So let me jump in on with that too. But first, let me.
1: I know you're. You you do not do that. I know with the horses, you don't do that.
0: Right. So let's let's come back to that in a second. And and I just want to finish. So so hang on to that.
1: Isn't it interesting? So something as simple as that, as basic as that. When we start talking about the principles behind yeah, it opens up all these conversations. And decisions. So I'll let you finish what what you were going to say.
0: Right. Decisions about how you how you want to work. And hopefully people understand what we mean by overshadowing.
1: Well it becomes because that the visual of a hand going in a pouch will become more is more salient to the animal than an audit. Aud- auditory? Yeah. You know what would be fun?
0: And, and normally we, we talk about the webinars at the end of the podcast, but it would be fun to have Jesus talk about overshadowing in our upcoming webinar because his description of it, his explanation of it from that perspective of the behavioral analysis is very powerful. And I think we should put that on the list of things that... We would like him to cover. So I don't have a pen in front of me, but if you do, if you could write that down so that we remember,
1: overshadowing. Yeah, that we want
0: him to talk about that.
1: We usually, we usually like for him to to let him loose and talk about what he likes to talk about. Yes. But we have like so many questions. I know we'll have time. Well, we
0: can we can always we can turn him loose to let him talk about what he wants to talk about, and then if we have time at the end, we'll talk about overshadowing, and if not, we'll. We'll get him again. Yep. That's all. We'll
1: have another, a fourth webinar.
0: Eventually, we will all be able to say that we have had an amazing course in, in, in behavioral analysis through these webinars, which would be fine. And in case anyone wants to know the dates, it's... Uh, November 11th at one thirty Eastern Time, 2018, and just go to our website, equaocity.com, for more information. And I really didn't mean to insert that in the middle of the podcast, but the overshadowing is is really, it's it's an important concept. And when I saw how Jesus described it, taught it, sort of parsed it out, in the language, in the technical language of behavioral analysis, it became so very clear. But there's another piece in this that I wanted to add, which was, suppose, so I may want the marker signal to be my click, but I want my horse to understand that sometimes my hand is going to be in my pocket, and I'm not not because I'm getting food, but just because my hand is in my pocket. And so I would then go through a teaching process with my horse where I showed him that when he was, for example, looking straight ahead in that beautiful grown-ups are talking position, that he could stay looking straight ahead while I reached into my pocket and got my gloves, while I reached into my pocket and got, Kleenex while I fiddled around in my pockets in some other way and that I would click when his head was still and he was looking straight ahead and then I would get the treat but that the fishing around in my pocket really was not the relevant piece of information and so I, I might I might decide to go through a very very deliberate teaching process to show my horse that he doesn't need to watch my pockets because ahead of the click that's not that's not useful information. I reach into my pocket a lot. Sometimes I keep my hands in my pocket because it's winter and it's cold cold. and and so but I would want to go through a teaching process so that my horse understands that and is not keeping that eye on the pocket and feeling frustrated and anxious because why aren't you bringing treats out? And that I think that's a key element of go through a teaching process.
1: But the, the idea of that is that the, the marker, you should know and your horse should know what the marker is. Yes. If you want that, and so you have to be aware if your horse is perceiving something else, As the marker because you have inadvertently preceded or 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 preceded the marker with something in a systematic way that your horse has picked up. And now he knows that forget the click. Every time she starts to move her hands towards the treat, that means I'm getting the treat. So this is now the marker. And now you don't have the and now you wonder why you're not getting the kind of precision that you're hoping for, it's because you're clicking at a time where you don't know that right. you're cl- You're marking, I should say, right. at a time where you don't know. So that's that part of the discussion.
0: And both Susan Friedman and and Jesus had some great video clips, I think particularly Susan from some of the, the zoos, where people thought that their animal was responding to a marker to the... To their, uh, to their click or their whistle. But it was very clear when you looked at the video that that was not the case at all. And I think that's something that is definitely worth testing of, is your animal responding to the marker signal? And I had early on with the goats, I had a great video where they, they were playing uh, on a mounting block. And I think it's one of the videos I actually put up on line in the goat diaries and you could see they were running towards the mounting block and I clicked and both of them immediately swung their heads around back to me. So that marker signal is clearly meaningful and that's what we want.
1: And you can really you can see it and it's kind of a very pretty picture usually. Yes. You know when that face (laughs) that they make when they know they've been clicked is kind of always a joy to look at.
0: And remember when we were working together and we had one of the horses who was working way out at, at a distance from me and uh, yeah. he could be 30 feet away and I would click and he would instantly stop yep. and then wait yep. while I walked to him to get the treat. Absolutely. I mean, that's really fun. Yep. That's yep. really yep. fun.
1: Yep. And, it, was, and so, it was quite dramatic with him, actually. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but it was it was really interesting to look at because, as you said, he as soon as he was clicked, He was going into receiving mode very clearly. (laughs) Yes. And he wasn't doing anything else. He was just waiting to get his treat.
0: Waiting very politely.
1: And you you didn't have to run to him to give him his treat. You just walked very casually, but very definitely you weren't doing anything else. You weren't answering your phone while you were walking towards him. You were definitely delivering your treat to him and he was waiting to receive it.
0: And that's all part of the, the reinforcement package, sort of that mm. that anticipation as it were. And it doesn't begin, yeah. you couldn't begin there. You begin with, the you click and the food as promptly as you can, you're delivering the food and you're not very far away from the animal. So it's just reach into my pocket and his nose is right there. And in those early stages, I think that's where it is critically important that your handling skills are very, very clean. I had a great example of that this past week. I had guests at the barn, which was great fun. And we were using the goats to work on some of the early handling skills of just getting the handling really clean. And, and the goats are phenomenal for that because they're quick. And if, if you're fumbling around at all, then there's a lot of behavior that's happening that you're not going to want. So you have to be very, very clean. And for this one particular person, I got out my colored duct tape. And so we had, I put a piece of duct tape on the back of her hand. So that was one marker. So when she went into grown ups, it was her hand went to the pink duct tape. And then when she fed, I I didn't want her free hand, the non-feeding hand, to get stuck to her torso. So I put another piece of duct tape on, she was sitting in a chair for the goats, on her uh, on her thigh. So she would feed and with one hand she reached into her pocket and fed the goat and her other hand went to the, the blue duct tape on her thigh. And then when she fed, it was... Uh, I put another piece of duct tape. We had duct tape all over. Put another duct tape, piece of duct tape right on the front of her winter parka. So she take her hand back to that piece of duct tape. Her feeding hand went over the duct tape that was on the back of her hand. Then she we could count 1,001, 1,002, click, and then one hand went to the blue duct tape on her hand and the other duct rather hand fed and what it did it was really pretty how much it cleaned up and stabilized the food delivery so that her movements were very clean very clear there wasn't a lot of extra fumbling or forgetting what to do or the the things that really start to frustrate and interfere with the development of clean loops. So it's very pretty. And and particularly when you're working with a quick animal, both a quick learner and a quick mover, this is really important. And so in the beginning, when you're first learning, when you're learning as a handler, I really, 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 really want to encourage those clean, clean, clear handling skills.
1: Yeah. You know the hand in the pouch thing if if we wanted if wanted to state what the principle is for that I would say that the animals will find predictors of reinforcement in their environment yes and if you do not teach a marker they will find a naturally occurring marker yes that would be the principle behind the rule that says no hand is in the treat pouch. Right,
0: and they're, so they are going to find the information that they need.
1: Yeah, to know when reinforcement is coming and right. what do I need to do again to get it.
0: Right, and far better that I make that as clear as I can so that I'm aware of what the animal is using as that information because that gives me more control gives me a lot more control over the training. And with the horses, I could say, well, I'm gonna put my hand in the tree pouch. So my hand is there ready waiting. And when my horse, my goat looks straight ahead, click, and then I can just get the food out more promptly. And and you could do it that way, I suppose.
1: Yeah, because you're not it, it doesn't it doesn't become the signal that uh, reinforcement will be coming. Right, but this is but, this is the beauty of understanding the principle behind
0: it. Right, because now you now you can make choices. And my butt would be, particularly when you're working with a horse, if you get into the habit of feeding and then letting your hand go back to the tree pouch, so you're ready to feed him again. What if you need your hand for something else? What if you need your hand to hold a target, or what if you need your hand to ask your horse to back up because he's coming into your space? You know, what if you're using a lead rope and you need your hand to slide down the lead rope? You've trained your hand to go into the tree pouch. Mm. It's not available to do other things. So I would say, if we look at the future of that behavior, mm, maybe not such a good thing. Yeah. And in the beginning what when you have a very new learner you don't want a lot of time between the click and when they actually get the food because all of that behaving all of that behavior is getting reinforced you know we used to say click ends the behavior and then it was bob bailey who said not unless the animal is dead <laughs> you know the animal keeps behaving and we all wanted to felt like saying put Bob you know what we mean and but he was right you know the the click doesn't end the animal behaving it just marks for us the end of a unit of behavior mm-hmm. but there's still the animal is still doing things after the click and so if he's doing a lot of things that you don't want mm. that can become problematic i've
1: seen i've seen good tra- dog trainers who actually load you know, once a loop is clean, they reload their hands right. before they start the next cycle. Right. So when they click, they already have the treats in their hands. They're quite good at it that you can see they're right. reloading, sending one treat from the left hand to the right hand. And they, again, you know, they they are really minimizing the time between the click and the actual feeding. Right. and
0: I've, I've seen that and I've done a, I do a little bit of preloading every now and then, but it's not generally how I work with the horses. And again, in part because I mean, there are many reasons for it, but one of the reasons is that I need my hands free for other things.
1: Yeah, well, rope handling. Yeah,
0: yeah. so yeah. I will occasionally use the preloaded hand, particularly mm-hmm. if I'm starting out with a horse that is very anxious, that, that it's a clinic horse and it's struggling with being away from home and you're not going to, you know, the, oh, just work him when he's calm. <laughs> he's not going to be calm till you take him home. And you need to work with him so that he can settle enough to be okay But that's another piece of this. But the the other, in in this whole uh, feeding and so on, what we're heading for is riding. And when you're riding, there is a, and you click, there is going to be a period of time between when the horse stops and turns his head and you lean forward and give him a treat. And so from the very, very beginning on, I want the horse to learn that I'm gonna click and then I'm gonna be reaching into my pocket and giving him a treat, but the food doesn't just appear uh, an instant after the click. There's a, a little bit of time between the click and when I can actually get the treat to him. And at first, that little bit of time is very short, and he can see me reaching into my pocket. But over time, depending upon what I'm doing on the ground, depending upon, you know, if I'm riding, that that instantaneous get-the-food-to-the-animal, the, that what Kay Lawrence calls the click-and-shove, not a desirable way of feeding, that what I'm training my horse to be able to be comfortable with is that the food delivery occurs over a period of time and he can see me bringing the food he can feel me if it's under saddle reaching into my pocket but i'm i i don't want to get stuck with the preloading where mm-hmm. i'm not allowing that span of time to develop
1: yeah, well, that the the trainers I've seen do that they were preloading, but they weren't shoving food. No, of course not. Yeah, they were they were skilled.
0: Um, people like Kay, Kay Lawrence preloads, and she is definitely not yeah. a click and shove uh,
1: trainer, not by any
0: means. Yeah. So um, let
1: let's talk about um, not marking and treating, because now we've had a discussion about this. I think it's interesting because. Like I said, in the context, I know you don't do that. You always click if you're going to treat and you can explain why. Um, And because the the context in which I will do it is, like I said, if I'm walking with my dogs, I don't click every time they're in the right place. I will just treat. And I know some people are not comfortable with that. So maybe you can explain why you're not doing it.
0: Okay, so... Well, again, it's been really interesting having the goats because goats are kind of like dogs with horns. I sort of think of these these goats as border collies with horns, which is a scary thought. Are they as vocal? <laughs> well, maybe not. Well, they 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 don't bark, but they do ba. Oh yeah, a lot. Uh, um, no, not well. It depends on the situation. So if I if I take the um, the two boys out, who are the the two the two year olds, the 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 older goats out for for their walk. The three girls bellow like mad, that they protest like mad that I've removed the boys from, from their area and I will hear them basically the whole time that, that we're out walking.
1: Yeah. That that's similar to horses, but would they do that if let's say they thought you weren't quick enough? No. In No no no. Oh, okay. no, 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 no. Yeah. No. Okay. They
0: don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, there they are in many respects they are they are remarkably doglike, and mm-hmm. and I've been taking. Actually, the the boys were off for this past week. They went back to they went back to the convent. So it's such a funny way mm-hmm. of saying it. Uh she wanted to take them to this huge sheep and wool festival that's held um south of here every year it's one of the largest i guess she said it was the largest fiber festival in the us or at least in the on the east coast and it was it was i was we went down and i was just amazed absolutely astounded at just the number of cars that were in the parking lot i mean it it rivaled that of the equine affair. and really? it was it, it was um just astounding to me and everyone was there for knitting, for wool, you know, or for weaving. It was really amazing. So so the goats were there and she wanted Ellion and Peleus there because they're so beautiful, which it's true they are. So they, they've been gone the past week and so it's just been the girls and we've been going out for walks with them. And particularly when I've had uh I had these guests with me and so we would in the morning we would go out for walks with the girls and they're, they're so much fun, and we've gone further than I've taken them before. We went out past the fenced areas, past the, the backfield. On a lead. No, they're loose. Oh, They're completely nice loose, and we we took them out through the back fields and into the woods, and because uh, there's a stone wall back there, and I thought, of course, the goat should go on a onto a stone wall, and there's a cliff face, and I thought, you know, what better what better place to take a goat than than to uh, a rock pile. Yep. What's really fun is they just stuck to us like little barnacles. They they didn't go wandering off. We never had had to worry about them getting out of sight or going off on their own. or They they weren't interested in browsing. They didn't stop to eat grass. They just stayed right by our sides. It was just, just delightful. And as I'm walking along, I was doing exactly what you are describing. I would, particularly when there were two of them with me, I would have my hands down by my side and they're my hands are basically acting like a target. And as they healed by my side, sometimes I would click and reach into my pocket and get a treat. And I was always feeding them so they were behind me so that they were. I didn't feed them in front of me because then they'd curl around me and it would get... It blocks your way. Yeah, it gets a little hard to walk forward when you're tripping yeah. over goats. But there were also times where... I found that I would preload my hand. And so they would walk along, they would target to my hand, and then I would just give them the treat reach up in my pocket
1: you did that
0: I did that oh my god (laughs) I know it's shocking it's shocking
1: because I remember we've had a discussion in the past and you would not have done that with your horses no
0: I wouldn't wouldn't do it with the horses but with the goats
1: special context too I mean you may decide to do this in this particular context walking and that's it
0: and and the delivery was I mean their nose was right there so Mm -hmm. there was there was no gap that needed yeah. uh the precision you know i could i could deliver the treat in position
1: yeah as they and were it's doing not, the behavior it's not a complex behavior i know mean, just no. walking but it's, along it certainly and gets you don't them. care you know if their head is this way or that way or
0: yeah they're they're glued to my side yeah. and so you know and, and i thought about this in that there are a lot of things that i'm doing with the goats that you wouldn't
1: do with the horses
0: that I wouldn't do with the horses necessarily, but that I have seen many times trainers who I admire, like Kay Lawrence, using the, a similar technique. Doing it's like I, I you know, I've, I've seen this done and I find that I'm using it and it feels appropriate. It feels like it's working. It doesn't feel as though. It's getting in the way. But can you explain I'm...
1: why before you were...
0: Okay, so with the horses, to me, one of the functions of the click, so there are lots of reasons to click. And I've heard people say very rigidly, you know, the click is a marker signal when. so that when you teach, you're going to use it. Once the animal has learned the behavior, then you don't click and treat. And I've always sort of scratched my head over that and thought, well, actually, that's not what I do, and one of the things, and and this would be a question that I would have for the people who say that of what actually does that mean? And sometimes what that means is they shift to another signal mm. because what they're doing is they're using the actual box clicker, mm-hmm. so they're using a mechanical advi- uh, uh, device in the teaching process. But you don't always want to carry your clicker when you're out for a walk with your dog. Mm. So they switch to a verbal. So they'll they'll now say good and then they'll get their yeah. treat. But they're still using a marker signal. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: So so to me that was, well, wait a minute, that's not really what you just described there. It would be more accurate to say when once the once I think the behavior is well formed, I might transfer my marker signal to another marker signal but I'm still using a marker signal and I don't do that because my tongue click is always with me so I'm never fishing around in my pocket going which which pocket is my click in thank goodness because it's now cold and when I'm out when I'm out working with the horses, I may have two or three polar fleece jackets on that have pockets, plus my vest that has pockets, and fishing around to try and find the pocket, the pocket that has a clicker in it, It can take a long time.
1: Well, I only, personally, I only use the clicker with the dogs when I start on something that is really complex. I never use a clicker. I always use a marker and i i basically use the tongue click all the time right right because it's a great like you said it's always there in my mouth
0: (laughs) that's right that's right i use a box clicker when i'm very first starting a horse because i think they notice the sound and i use it in those situations where the there's the background noise is such that i need the sharpness of that box clicker uh, for the horse to be able to pick up on the sound. Mm. So if I'm working, for example, in a very windy environment and I really need the precision, I would go to to a box clicker. Because really? f-
1: I, I don't recall ever seeing you work with a clicker. Uh, the box, I mean. Well, I've, I
0: I used it initially when I started, okay. when I was first introducing your horses to the clicker.
1: Yeah. But anyway, so back to why you would not not mark. Right.
0: So So there are many functions for me Uh, that as I think of the click. So one is, it is that precision teaching tool. Yeah, definitely. But it's also for me, it's a thank you. So when people say, well, you know, you've taught your horse to pick up his feet and for cleaning, do you, do you still have to click and treat? And my answer to that is, for me, the answer is yes, That hmm. that when my horse you know when when I'm first teaching it, I might be sliding down my hand and saying, Is it okay with you if my hand slides down from your elbow to your knee? Yes, click treat. Is it okay with you if my hand slides down past your knee? Yes, click treat. Is it okay with you if I put my hand around your ankle? Yes, click treat. You know, there are lots of little steps that I would be marking. And then but gradually as the horse becomes comfortable with the whole procedure and picks up his foot and I clean it and he's standing beautifully and he's lifting his own foot up, et cetera, et cetera. When I'm done, I probably am going to click and treat because it for me, it is a way of saying thank you and it helps to maintain this unit of behavior.
1: But when you say when you're done. When I'm done
0: with a, with whatever unit I have selected. So that might be when I'm done with one foot. It might be when I've done. Hmm.
1: Okay, we, we, I won't get there. Go there because I want to hear your okay. explanation about the. But for me, clicking after the behavior is done. I don't know. Well,
0: but you can you can pick your timing on yeah. that. So as as I am finishing, as you you know, finishing. as I'm taking that okay. last little, you know, taking my my hoof brush and doing the last little okay. clean up of the <laughs> foot and waiting and then waiting for the horse to unweight his foot so I can set it down. I can click and treat. You know, anywhere within that that piece of when do when do I feel that it is appropriate. To click and reinforce, so that I continue to get the quality of behavior that I want. So, anyway, one of the other things that I that I think of in terms of the click is that it is a gatekeeper.
1: Yeah. That now we're getting to where where we've had that discussion before. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's
0: that discussion. So, so we are working with a very large animal mm, who even yeah. a very with the best of intentions can cause bodily harm. If a horse accidentally steps on your foot, it hurts. If the goats accidentally step on my foot, it's no big deal. If your dog steps on your foot, it's no big deal. So because they are large animals, I think it is important to have the gatekeeping quality of the click that so that my horses are very clear that in the absence of the click, I'm not going to be giving them treats. And that it's very clear. They, they don't expect it. They're not trying to figure out, well, why sometimes does it? do you just reach into your pocket? And sometimes I have to wait. There's, It just reduces any questions around when am I going to get the treat. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard the click, don't bother looking for treats. Right. And I think for a very large animal...
1: It's a it's a good point. I think it's a good point. And again, you know, I mean, this is such a... This domain is... There's always a nuance to be made. I think if the context tells the animal that in this context... Right. When we're walking, when we're on our walks, yep. you may be getting... Uh, food without clicks when you're in this particular position?
0: When we're having a watermelon party. That's right. I just give them watermelon.
1: Right. So there's they see the, lef- the the watermelon.
0: And they see the watermelon bowl.
1: And it's only when there is the watermelon that they get it without the click. Right. And so I think the animals, they become quite good at, again finding predictors of reinforcement in their environment right and so they that's what they do all day yep
0: but I wouldn't start there so I think you know and that's where the rules and so you know Ken Ramirez talks about this that you start out with the rules yeah because they help you to become a really good trainer yeah and once you have an experienced animal and an experienced handler, then you can begin to modify, adjust, change the rules.
1: If you understand the principles behind it. Yes. Because if you don't understand the principles, you may make a big mess if you start changing the rules. Because the rules, I mean, if you get your rules from the right people, they have been uh, developed, or that's not the proper word, but they have been... These rules have been what's the word?
0: They're put there for a reason. For a reason. Right. They're a put there for a reason. To help
1: you as a beginner to yep. make sure that you're not creating a big mess. Right. But the because also it is a study of one, sometimes if you stick to a rule in certain cases it may act and you don't understand the principles and you keep putting this rule into play, it may actually play against you.
0: Right. It can block your training because now it's winter and your hand is going into your pocket and you've got a confused horse because you didn't understand that you needed to go through a teaching process to show your horse that sometimes your hand goes into the pocket to get food. Sometimes it goes into the pocket to get Kleenex or to get your gloves, things of that sort. And at what point, as you and your animal develop a relationship at what point can you begin to vary the procedures and have you gone through a teaching process so that your animal understands this variation on the theme as it were and you're not losing you're not losing the value the power or the marker signal mm-hmm. so if i if i found with the goats that using this just reach just feeding them by my side like that if i if i started to see that my marker signal was being ignored was losing its value i would stop using that procedure
1: yeah you know i've 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 seen um uh ken write about this where he says it's a, again we're coming back to food and recipes and cooking <laughs> yes uh, where he's compared that with when you follow a recipe. You're not a big chef, you try to cook a particular dish and so you need to follow a recipe so that you can make a reasonable meal. And then as you gain confidence, you can begin to experiment a little bit with flavors and varying ingredients and you can have good results, but if you if you don't understand, there's a limit to what you can do if you don't understand the principles of cooking because you can make a real mess of the food. Yes. So as a beginner, the recipe is a good guide, but the experienced chef is guided by broader principle that will allow him to create great meals.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Which brings us around to your spanakopia. That's Right. Right. So, so so
1: I think I'm going to go cook my spinach now.
0: I think that's a great idea. So what we'll do is we'll say goodbye for now. And maybe next time we can pick up on some of the other rules of training and, and explore what sits behind them. So we'll have to be thinking about what are some of the rules that get put out there, and especially in the early stages, and, and why are they there, and what are the principles behind them. But for now... We'll let you go cook your dinner. All right. So enjoy. <laughs> See you next week. Right. Bye. As we said in today's podcast, we have a webinar coming up this weekend with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. The webinar is Sunday, November 11th, 2018, at 1:30 Eastern Time. Here's a little teaser for some of the topics Jesus was planning on sharing with us. He's just back from the recent Luminos Clicker Expo conference in the UK, and he'd like to share with us some of the material he prepared for that conference. One of his talks was called, It's All Operant, and I'm delighted that he's going to be sharing with us the material from that presentation because it sounded fascinating. In particular, he wants to explore the following question. When does a stimulus become a conditioned stimulus, and when does it become a cue? I'm sure that this topic is going to create some interesting discussions. He'd also like to give people an opportunity to ask questions that they may have from the last webinar, especially around the topic of stimulus control. And finally, we have some questions that are centered around emotional behavior. Do emotions become tied to the behavior you are trying to teach? If your animal is anxious when you are first introducing it to clicker training, will that emotional state become linked to the training? Will it become linked to some particular cue that is part of the training? Or can you shift the animal's emotions so that it can access a more settled emotional state that's associated with clicker training? As always with these webinars, our plan is to turn Jesus loose, to talk about all the things that are currently exciting him as they relate to training. These conversations always lead us into discussions that very much help us to be better trainers. So I hope you'll join us. Again, the webinar is Sunday, November 11th at 1.30 Eastern time. If you register before the webinar, you'll be able to get the early bird price. And remember, we'll be recording the webinar, which means you can always listen to it more than once. And if you can't attend the live event, you'll still be able to listen to it afterwards. And if you want to listen to any of our previous webinars, they're available through the store in our website. Go to aquacity.com. That's Equus Plus Curiosity, so equiocity.com to register for the webinar or to order any of the previous webinars. And until next time, have fun with your training.